Are you someone who stays completely away from TikTok? Are you a little bit worried about maybe your kids being on it and the risks that it might pose? There has been so many conversations about what a ban could look like, a potential ban. We're sort of partially the way there uh, with um, certain uh, individuals and certain companies and government phones now being banned from having TikTok on it. But should we go a little bit further? What's the real risk? We're going to get into it right now with our guest, who is co-founder of Beyond the Screen and a senior fellow in residence at the Center for Media Technology and Democracy at McGill University. Francis Haugen is joining us. Francis, thanks so much for making the time. Really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. There's been a lot of conversation about TikTok, as you well know, mm-hmm. and the parent company ByteDance. So can you, mm-hmm. Francis, just set the table for us. Can you explain why looking at this as something that infringes on mm. privacy and could potentially spread misinformation or even propaganda is not an imagined problem? So um, many people uh, know that Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all those things are owned by American companies. TikTok uh, is owned by a company called ByteDance. And a long series of whistleblowers have come forward to say, while they try to claim that they're being led by a a CEO who lives in Singapore, you know, the, the, the original company came out of China that the major decisions being made for strategy, policy, are all being made still in Beijing, and that the company is very, very responsive to demands from the Chinese government. Uh, We've had other whistleblowers come forward saying that the Chinese government directly has extensive access to data um, on users, and we know that because the product itself is designed differently, designed to be able to, what's known as heat, certain content, content, certain topics, you know, basically get it in front of more eyeballs when they want to. They have a level of control about our information environment much more extensive than, say, Instagram or Twitter does today. So it's really this question of do we want a Chinese company controlling an ever larger part of our media information environment? Well, because ultimately, what does that mean? Does that mean that our data is being collected? Does that mean that we are being propagandized Mm -hmm. and seeing things that maybe could be influencing us in ways we don't understand or or recognize? We know that in China, um, um, very actively, they control what information is delivered, say, to kids, where uh, kids are disproportionately sent science and educational content versus, say, silly dances in the United States, um, or that they recognize in China that the product is, is dangerous for children and that you can only use it for 40 minutes a day. It, the average child in the United States uses it for about 120 minutes a day. Hmm. Um, or you can't use it past 10 o'clock because we know that sleep deprivation is one of the top risk factors for things like uh, mental illness, um, accidents from death, substance use for kids. Um, in the United States, we had you know, the Surgeon General just last week reported 30% of teenagers say they use social media, and I'm guessing TikTok plays a large role in that, mm-hmm. till midnight or later most weeknights. So you can see why people are being a little concerned that China China is allowing this product to operate in different ways than, say, Canada or the United States than they do for their own citizens. There are different rules in different places. So India, for example, mm-hmm. has done an outright ban in TikTok. And mm-hmm. I, I want to talk a little mm-hmm. bit about is, is a ban feasible and what are maybe the mm-hmm. safer ways that we can operate using TikTok. But when it comes to an entire country banning it, has it been successful? Mm-hmm. Because as you know, I mean, it can be really mm-hmm. addictive and even just for the reasons you were just describing. Mm-hmm. So can we ban it? How does it work in places that it is? I'm against um, banning TikTok because uh, the reality is TikTok is a form factor. 
So like a lot of things that make it uh, really compulsive. Um, you know, it's interesting. There's a wave of startups in Silicon Valley that say, you know, we can be the TikTok for X, you know, TikTok mm. for audio, TikTok for short form text, for long form text. You know, um, uh, I think a, a, a better way to approach these things um, is we should be asking, you know, do we need different kinds of consumer rights in a modern age? Where, like, should you have the right to reset the algorithm Facebook, or excuse me, uh, TikTok uses to target you? Should you should should TikTok have to disclose things like when users are polled, what fraction of them say I have trouble going to sleep when I want to at night? You know, little things like that. Beginning to have more data means that you can actually have real consumer choices. Um, you know, having uh, the the right to um, clear the data that they have on you. You know, these should be things that are modern 21st century consumer uh, protection practices. And, and those are things at scale because there will be, even, even if we do ban TikTok, um, I, I personally think we should divest TikTok. Like China should not be allowed to run TikTok. Um, uh, we can do an international consortium. There's a lot of different ways. There are historical precedent, precedences for industries that are considered vital to national security. Um, but I, I think just banning it means there's going to be another thing like TikTok that totally. comes pipeline in the future. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, content creation and content consumption is just a part mm-hmm. of our daily lives. And you're right. If it's not TikTok, it will just be something else. I think that all of the ideas that you just mentioned, giving the user ultimately more control, make a lot mm-hmm. of good sense. And see, they seem wonderful. But these companies, specifically in this case, TikTok and mm-hmm. the parent company, ByteDance, I mean, these are monopolies. How do you possibly go mm-hmm. against the grain and convince them to change their strategy and give the user more power? You know, I think we're living in a moment that's a lot like uh, what the car industry was like in the 1960s. You know, in 1965, no cars uh, sold in the United States or Canada had seatbelts by default. You know, safety features were incredibly minimal. Like, they knew things like a collapsible steering column. That's the thing that holds your steering wheel. would save thousands of lives a year because people were getting impaled on their steering wheels. Think about that in car crashes. But people were afraid to be first movers on, on safety because safety wasn't part of the conversation. They were afraid that people would be like, are your cars more dangerous than other people's cars? Hmm. Um, or, in the, or in the case of kids, you know, we know from the data the most important age range to keep kids off of social media is like 10 to 13. And there's another little blip area when kids go to college or like leave home. Um, I, the first social media company to say we're actually going to keep under 13-year-olds off our, our, our products, unlike everyone else, is the first company to say we decide to lose the next generation. And so I think there's a need for not not extreme regulation, but like moderate, sensible legislation that kind of sets a floor for, for safety. It says you have to be more transparent. You have to, you, when we ask you questions, you have to actually give us answers, which we don't have the right to today, which is kind of shocking. Um, or like, you know, if you know there are risks, you can't hide them from us because we know you have all the power right now. And no company is going to voluntarily do that because it it puts them at a disadvantage versus all the other social media companies that also are hiding the truth. You know, I think you you make a really good point in highlighting the fact that we are at a a very 
crucial moment where we still could enact some change. We've sort of just accepted that this mm-hmm. the way that we live our lives right now with so much dependence on technology is just the way that it is, but it really has only been normal for the last handful of years, and we do still have some time to change it. Comparing it to the car industry is such a good comparison. I've seen pictures of what um, uh, oh, child yeah. safety seats used to look like, and it's <laughs> shocking what we used to do. So, yeah, I mean, could we make things safer? Hopefully, but what can a consumer do right now without legislation in Mm. place. I want to get into that conversation with you a little bit, Francis, but we do have to take a very short break. So if you'll just bear with me, we'll come right back to you talking about not necessarily banning TikTok, but making it safer. Francis Haugen is our guest and is the co-founder of Beyond the Screen and a senior fellow in residence at the Center for Media, Technology and Democracy at McGill University. We'll be right back with this conversation in three minutes. Should we ban TikTok or can we just make it a safer? Uh, our guest is talking about changing legislation to make TikTok a little bit of a safer place to navigate, giving a lot more control to the user. In the meantime, before any legislation passes, and hopefully it does, what are some things that the consumer or the user can do themselves? Francis Haugen is the co-founder of Beyond the Screen and a senior fellow in residence at the Center for Media, Technology and Democracy at McGill University. Francis, what is it that users should be doing to protect themselves if they're on TikTok right now? So um, for all the parents out there, um, one, I want to be clear, you know, these are problems that are beyond the scale of individual families. But there are things that we can do to, you know, reduce harm in the meantime while we're pushing for larger systematic changes. So namely, if your kids aren't charging their phones in your bedroom, you know, phones go in the parent's bedroom at night, that's a great habit to start as soon as possible. Uh, Sleep deprivation is a huge risk factor for a wide set of harms for kids, and they persist throughout kids' lifetime. You know, being able to not focus in school because you're too tired, that's the thing that's going to stick with you for years to come. The second is, you know, get honest about your own usage of social media. Um, it's it, One of the things that the Surgeon General emphasized last week was that we really need to approach um, family uh, discussions about teenage uh, usage of social media from a family perspective. Huh. Come up with family media plans where, you know, you all say, you know, how much social media do we want to use per day, per week? You know, what, what, how do we want to make sure we're keeping each other safe? One of the things that countless parents have told me is, who experienced um, tragedy is they didn't know what their kids were looking at on social media. You know, they're, they're, the algorithms have been accelerating their kids towards more and more um, uh, extreme topics. And, and, you know, they say, I wish I, wish I had sat down and, and, you know, even once a month kind of check in with my kids and said, hey, this is what my, my, my YouTube feed looks like. This is what my Instagram feed looks like. What does yours look like? And have, a, have an open and, you know, non-judgmental conversation. Because conversations like that save lives. Yeah, and I I think that you know emphasizing the the fact that your feed might look really different than your teenager's feed because of the the catered algorithm is something mm-hmm. to really highlight. So you might think because you're a user yourself that you know what they're seeing, um, but you you really don't. If if we don't get a, a good handle on this, where do you mm-hmm. see things going in terms of our increased social media use and dependence and lack of boundaries? So. Uh, I, I, to give 
Canadian listeners a little bit of context on how significant the Surgeon General's warning was last week. So the advisory he issued is one of a very small number, you know, less than 15 that have ever been issued in the last 60 years. And the things they've been issued on are things that we kind of take for granted. You know, it's like cigarettes cause cancer, uh, breastfeeding helps babies, uh, and uh, uh, seatbelts save lives. You know, things that you're like, yeah, duh, Francis. But, but before those advisories came out, the, you know, there was genuinely debate and, and ambiguity around those things. And, and the thing that I think is going to be super interesting is, is part of why he issued that advisory is the harms to kids are hockey-sticking. Right, like you look at the the suicide rates in the United States, you look at the rates of teenage mental health. You know, something like twenty five percent of of thirteen and fourteen year olds have have, uh, have when you ask them, have you thought about suicide in the last three months? They say yes. Oh. Um, the reality is, we can't live in a society where huge fractions of young people are thinking about taking their own lives. Um, and so the question is, you know, what kinds of how are we going to step forward? And I, I think the thing that I get a little nervous about is, you know, we're starting to see in the United States, even conservative states, taking some pretty extreme actions. You know, uh, Utah recently passed a bill saying, uh, you know, we're going to get rid of youth privacy online. You know, you're only going to be able to use uh, these, these, these services if your parent can see everything you do. Or, you know, Montana came out and banned TikTok. And so, uh, you know, I think there's a real opportunity in Canada to say, let's reset our relationship with these services. Let's, let's force them to be transparent. Let's force them to be honest with us and respect us more. And I think that's how we're going to live with them effectively in the future. So what's the first step then to try to do that? Mm. Um, you know, the, uh, um, many people aren't aware but um, after uh, so the Canadian government introduced um, well, maybe not the most effective bill a couple of years ago. You know, it was very focused on content censorship. Uh, it had a lot of blowback. And they convened an expert panel to say, hey, like, what are the tools that are available to us? Like, what are the different ways we could approach these things? And they came up with a, a recommendation that I really believe in, which is that we need to have uh, we need to have a law kind of like what Europe passed, where Europe said, hey. We know the only people who know the truth about Facebook or TikTok are Facebook and TikTok. If mm. they know there's a risk, they have to tell us about it. And if we ask them a question like, how many moderators speak French? How many moderators speak Hindi? How much, how much are you investing in safety in Canada versus the United States? You have to answer that question. Mm. And it sounds crazy given like every other consumer product. We expect that at least that level of truth. But when it comes to our digital products, we are living in the Stone Ages when it comes to, like, we don't, we don't get to find out anything. And so um, I'm hoping the government will table that bill this year because there's, there's, a, there's really good precedent now that it works. And um, Canada deserves to be, you know, a seat at the table. Well, Francis, I hope that when it does, we can have another conversation because you have some great perspective and so well-versed mm-hmm. in this area. Thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks for inviting me. Francis Haugen is co-founder of Beyond the Screen and senior fellow in residence at the Center for Media Technology and Democracy at McGill University, talking about different ways to make TikTok safer.